Oh, yeah. What's, what's President Trump's code name? It used to be Putin's little bitch. <laughs> now it's Stormy's little bitch. What about Ivanka's code name? Girlfriend. Jared Kushner? Other girlfriend. Don Jr. and Eric? Two Fredos. What about my code name? Dead man walking. Look, I don't have to take this from you. I have rights. Now you listen to me, you little weasel. I don't know what rights you think you have. You broke the law. And now we're going to catch all of you little fuckers. You got that? Okay. Okay, but I will tell you this. Live from New York, it's Saturday Night Live! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 18 of SNL with host John Mulaney and musical guest Jack White. I'm John Murphy, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy. So we received some good news during last night's show. Apparently, uh, the booking agent over at SNL was listening to our cast last week and decided that uh, maybe he should reach out to Donald Glover and uh, see if maybe he wanted to come on the show. Yep. That's uh, all our doing. Yep. Yep. It's not like that was uh, an obvious pick that people have been talking about for years. Uh, I think that we should just take all the credit and glory for that. Not only because... Donald Glover is coming on, but the musical guest is Childish Gambino. So it's basically all of our wildest dreams coming true on May 5th. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm guessing Donald Glover really pushed to have his friend Childish Gambino on the show, which yeah. is great <laughs> sign of solidarity between the two. Yeah. I hear those guys are tight. So this will be fun. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, if the Mulaney episode wasn't kind of my high watermark for the season this one very well may be so uh i'm i'm excited i'm i'm really looking forward to this me too buddy yep i do hope that the show gets clever with the fact that Donald glover is the host and musical guest i really want him to introduce himself and then walk up onto the music stage i just i think that that would be awesome and he just has the kind of the swagger and the cool to really make that work so that that's what i'm hoping to see if they if they give me that little moment then the rest of the show is just gravy at that point well we've been uh making some pretty accurate predictions <laughs> yeah <laughs> nostradamus style up in this so uh we'll see we'll see if we're right again yeah we'll see how it goes now i don't want to alienate all of our reddit listeners because obviously um calling Donald Glover was not a tough call. Like that's, that is a constant theme that runs through the live from New York subreddit. So I don't want anyone to think that we genuinely believe that we're anything special for <laughs> yeah. declaring that. I just think it's hilarious that it happened, you know, the week after we were talking about it on the show and uh, yeah, this is good. This is just exactly what I want to see shaping up for me. Yeah. I'm excited. Cool. You want to look at a little feedback before we jump in? Just a little bit. Okay. In light of Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro's appearance in the cold open, listener Debbie Winner asks, are you guys sick of celeb cameos and wish it was going to the cast? 
Or do you think the cast may not quite be capable of some of these roles? What do you think? Because we had Stiller, who I guess technically is an alum, kind of coming back to add a little bit of uh, celeb zazz to the cold open. And then you have Robert De Niro, who is kind of a friend of the show, uh, a host of note. So we're kind of getting back into our season 42 mold of just bringing in as many friends of the show as we can to make every show kind of as much of an event as possible. Do you feel like it's still working? Do you think that it's overplayed? Do you think it's taking a toll on the cast? What What's the, the ups and downside of all this? Well, we kind of talked about this whole formula that they've settled on for these cold opens and political sketches, you know, while a lot of uh, cabinet roles are taken up by cast members, you know, we do have a revolving door of celebrity cameos. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, the system they've been working with and it is getting a little tired and I'm willing to live with it for the rest of this season. Okay. You know, obviously we know the cast members can take on these roles if need be. Right. We've already seen Robert Mueller done by Kate. So, yeah, it's not a necessary thing. It's not anything to say that the cast is incapable. Mm-hmm. It was for ratings and for, uh, you know, for newsworthy moments uh, more so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is getting tired. Okay. So other than the fact that maybe it's not quite as special because it happens as often as it does now, do you think there's any other big downside for the show? Like, do you think anyone's actually rallying against them doing this or do you think it always works? Even if there's diminishing returns, is it still doing something good for the show overall? Um, on a short term scale, it's doing good for the show on a long term scale. It's giving less chances for new players to make their mark. It's just taking up more space. Than if you didn't have those cameos and, you know, relied on your, your actual hired cast members to do the job that you hired them for. (laughs) I'm not as put off by it. And especially this week, I wasn't put off at all because this wasn't like Robert De Niro stepping in and, and taking the mantle from Kate for the Mueller impression or anything. This was someone said, Hey, remember that funny movie, meet the parents. We could totally recreate that scene. And I bet we could get Stiller on board. I bet we could get De Niro on board and we can just have this goofy fun one-off cold open that is just sort of disconnected from all the other political commentary that we're building for the show. So I don't think that this is really indicative of anything other than someone thought, Oh, this would be so funny if we could get, you know, De Niro doing a polygraph on uh, Cohen. I think that's as much as there was discussion at the show about it. And I don't think that we're ever going to see Robert De Niro as Mueller again. I don't think that this is now like, like a Melissa McCarthy situation where they're just going to, you know, keep bringing him back and kind of run it into the ground as much as they can. Uh, I think this was a one-off. I think it was fun and I'm not reading into it. Anything beyond that. Right. Yeah. Well, the meet the parents connection was, the whole reason we had De Niro there more or less. Right. Exactly. So you can't go much farther with that after you've done the polygraph test. Very clever connection to make, but yeah, not much to go back to with mm-hmm. that concept. Yep. And uh, just to round this out before we jump into the show proper, I don't think that this is really hurting the cast so much. The Alec Baldwin thing We've had lots to say about how we'd like to see that turned back over to a cast member because we just don't feel like there's there's much else that we can get out of Alex's version of Trump at this point. I don't think that there's really anything else going on with celebrity cameos. It's sort of like eating the cast lunch. I think that everybody's having fun, and I think that people like to have celebrities in the mix. I think that that's enjoyable for everyone to to know that a sketch is going to be that much better because the audience is going to be amped when someone comes out. Uh, I don't think that this is a big deal. 
if they were to bring someone in as a quasi cast member again, I would be a little concerned if that becomes a trend with the show, but this is just SNL. This is what they do. This is a late night variety show and they've always thrived when the friends of the show kind of just pop in and it's a special moment for the audience. I I don't think that ever truly gets old. It may not be as special if you see it a lot, but I I think, I think it would take a, a whole lot of work for SNL to really grind the goodwill of the audience down through celebrity appearances. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason they do it. And it's because it works and it's fun and, and I enjoy it. So I'm not, I'm not quite as cynical on the whole thing as maybe some people are. Right. All right. Well, let's jump into the show. Uh, if we haven't already talked enough about the cold open, let's, uh, let's break it down. Robert Mueller interrogates Trump lawyer, Michael Cohen. Obviously we got our walk on from Ben Stiller as Michael Cohen, Robert De Niro as Robert Mueller. And the gag here is that they're playing out that iconic scene from meet the parents. It was fun. Mm -hmm. I thought it did work. You know, I think the best way to approach cold opens and, and political stuff is to keep it revolving around a simple concept. Mm -hmm. You can't have these things too diluted with too many parts. Sure. Especially where it's written pretty much last minute. So yeah, this was a good, good route to take. Now, Ben Stiller as as Michael Cohen, they did some prosthetics. He looked pretty, uh, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. But Robert De Niro was <laughs> spot on Mueller. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was so good, I didn't make the connection right away that they were doing a Meet the Parents gag. Okay, because I was like, wow, oh, no wonder they got De Niro. And then it was like, okay, no, this is why they got De Niro. Right. But aside from you know. The celebrity cameos, I thought, uh, I thought it was introed into that section well, and and uh, yeah, it held up for the ten minutes or so it went on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty good. I did, I didn't think it stayed that long. I don't think this was a ten minute cold open, but I mean, it was you know it was meaty enough for what it was. Um, I wasn't super impressed with the intro, like when we see uh, Kate and Beck there in roles that we've seen them do a lot of times and the material that they're delivering again is just the standard fare for what they've already established for those characters. I was not having a great time, like just from the opening scene. Yeah. And then, you know, as soon as they switched gears and showed where it was going and exited Kate and Beck, then then I was having a lot of fun. It's kind of hard not to. Um, As soon as Robert De Niro came in, you could see it coming a mile away. Oh, there's only one thing that they could be doing in this situation and it would make perfect sense. You know, everything's lining up. And then of course a slew of very easy meet the parents jokes ensues and I was eating it up. I was loving it. I thought it was all very good. Um, nothing super smart about it. It was very much. Okay. We've got meet the parents. Everybody knows what we're goofing on here. So let's just give them all the hits, you know, the, the, you can milk anything with nipples. Like the, all the lines were very much exactly what you knew were going to be included. And, uh, yeah, for what it was, I I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. For dialogue that contained a lot of direct quotes from a movie we've all seen. Mm -hmm. It was still surprisingly a fun ride. Yeah. Just because the scenario lined up so well with reality, it was a fun connection to make and meet the parents has been off anyone's radar for long enough that it doesn't feel like, Oh, you know, Oh yeah. That again, it, it, it just felt like it was right. It felt like the timing on everything was very good on this. So I enjoyed it. And, uh, to Robert De Niro's credit, he didn't screw up nearly as bad as I was assuming he would. He's notoriously bad at reading cue cards and just being obvious in his fumbling through his readings on SNL. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get a lot of that. And I thought that he did an exceptional job. Yeah. And I was a little bit nervous too, when he was uh, struggling with that blood pressure. Puff. 
Yeah. Couldn't quite get it out there at first. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he recovered. Yep. Yeah. It played out pretty good. I do also want to give a shout out to the ridiculously bad squiggles that they put on the polygraph paper. I just, <laughs> it, it was so like cartoonish and simplified from what would actually be getting transcribed onto that paper that it, it was just a fun little sight gag that I don't think anyone was paying attention to. But whoever the prop guy was who did that, I was paying attention. I thought it was great. I did notice it, yeah, but I wouldn't have thought to bring it up. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you did. I don't know. It's just sometimes when something like that catches your eye and you get a little chuckle, that's that's worth a, a mention because you don't think of the prop guys as having anything to do with elevating the comedy of the show, right? The, the makeup guys, maybe, right? Like, because if you do a prosthetic that's like really over the top and is just funny to look at, you know, you can kind of see where they have to be a little bit wired towards finding the funny and the look of a character, but you don't usually think about set dressings and props as having anything to do with it. Whereas, you know, sometimes they do, and it, it is maybe a little bit of a labor of love for someone to try and make a, a polygraph funnier <laughs> than you would expect it to be. So, you know, if there was some guy that thought that that was funny and took the time to do it that way for a laugh, just know, hey, it got a laugh. So well done. Yeah. This perfectly formed hill shows <laughs> yes. that was a lie. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So this was good. Uh, very lighthearted fare. Nothing deep, but it was fun. Totally. Moving on. John Mulaney is sick of being questioned by robots. What did you think of John Mulaney's stand-up monologue? Well, it was uh, the John Mulaney stand-up that I've come to know and love. Mm-hmm. He's got such a unique delivery, and it's very much his. Yeah. He's kind of like a Michael Jackson of comedy, you know? Okay. You know, Michael Jackson, you, you would recognize a lot of the moves he was doing from, from back in the day, but they were repurposed and repackaged and made new again. and. Uh, that's how I look at what John Mulaney does. Okay. A lot of recognizable beats, but definitely made to be his own. And uh, his material is just so good all the time. There's no reason not to like the guy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get on board with what he was doing. You're right. His delivery is very like clean and emphatic, and he draws you in to the picture that he's painting. He just He has a very precise and articulate way of getting you to the punchline. And yeah. uh, I really like his style. Um, you're right. It's, it's a very classical kind of standup, but he does make it seem sort of, you know, fresh and modern, despite how conventional the structures of what he's doing is. So yeah, there, there was a lot here that I really enjoyed. I thought this was great. Uh, very funny material. I have, you know, nothing but high praise for this. I, I was laughing the whole way. Yep. I should mention, and we should maybe discuss why he was introduced the way he was as John Mulvaney. Okay. Uh, I was going to give Hammond a pass on this because I've, I've already been uh, ribbing him a bit on uh, Twitter about it. This was a, a simple fumble. Um, apparently Hammond was in his booth trying to get a, a little um, card up in the view of the camera to promote an upcoming show. And in the process, uh, he lost his place and just messed up the line. <laughs> that's That's the way I understand it. Well, he said it twice. He said it during the opening credits and then as he walked out. Yeah. So I think what happened is he's fumbling around. So he's not following on his sheet of paper and he looks at his sheet of paper, misreads the word, and he doesn't look at it again for the second delivery because what he says is, and your host, John Mulaney, and then, you know, the music kicks up for a a few seconds. And then he says, ladies and gentlemen, John Mulaney, like that's back to back for him. So he doesn't have to look at the paper again to read the name again. If he thinks he's read it correctly the first time. Oh, so he read it incorrectly the first time, but then delivered it twice in a row incorrectly because that's what he now had in his head. 
it happens. You know, it's a not for ready primetime players moment. Now that just makes me wonder, doesn't Daryl Hammond know who John Mulaney is? Oh, he like, does. Wouldn't he does. they have worked together? Yeah, no, their time at the show did overlap. And he did it correctly in dress, right? Like it wasn't a matter of him not knowing John Mulaney's name or how to pronounce it. They do run throughs and he did it at dress. And obviously he knows John Mulaney. It was just purely a matter of he read the paper and before his mind had a chance to go, oh, that's not right. (laughs) It's already out live on the air. It's one of those silly things that just sometimes happens. Silly Daryl. Yeah, I can totally see how it would happen. So, you know, live TV. If we give the players a pass when they fumble a line, we got to give Daryl a pass when he fumbles a line. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. Fair enough. Yep. Okay. So uh, let's jump into our live material for the night. A sassy drag waitress throws some dark shade on an unwitting patron. (laughs) I thought this made sense. This was an idea that would definitely work with John as the host. You know, he's a slender, sprightly, and self-admittedly a quite effeminate man. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the perfect type of person to passably come off as a woman in drag. Okay. So it, it did well. Plus, he's got that sass and, and attitude to bring to it as well. Yeah. Aside from that, you know, the concept I thought was hilarious. It's one thing to be ribbing on someone in a friendly manner, but yeah, you can cross the line and it's not so funny anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thought this was pretty good. This was a nice way to kick off the night because it told me a couple important things about John Mulaney. It said that he was committed to his sketch performances and was going to be able to go all the way with them. And it showed that he was very heavily influencing the writing this week because there was a lot of specificity and just a lot of bizarre, dark angles and one-offs that are peppered through the sketch and throughout the rest of the night that very much sound like him just being able to punch up good material and make it great material. And so we got a little inkling of what we were in store for. So I was grinning for that. The sketch itself was pretty good. I liked the fact that they had a fun premise, but then they also had a nice reveal of why this person's motivated to be so, uh, you know, aggressive and yeah. <laughs> dark with this one person. Like there, there was a story there that unfolded and it, it, it was a kind of clumsy the way they unfolded it a little bit, but at least it was there. We've had so many sketches where maybe they have a good setup or a good premise and it just fizzles and there's just nothing there to make you feel satisfied at the end of it that I was just happy that they were able to cap it. And we had a lot of sketches tonight that felt well-rounded that way. And again, this was just an, an indication that the show is in very good hands and uh, I had some fun with it. So win for me. Yeah. This was definitely a sign that we we're going to have some fun. Yep. <laughs> All right. Moving on. We get another live sketch, a light caress from a fellow student complicates Gerald's planned walkout. <laughs> uh, to be a teenager again. Takes you back, you know, to times where it was just too easy to get excited sometimes. (laughs) You know, the premise was pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah. Relatable. Definitely relatable for anyone who's been a teenager. Sure. And male. Yep. (laughs) I was having a blast. And what I loved most about it was how, you know, the classmates were so in the dark. And (laughs) as obvious it was to the audience, the fact that like he still had a chance to kind of explain his way out of the situation right was a lot of fun yes and uh i think it reached a natural conclusion if you will (laughs) sure (laughs) as natural as it gets really uh yeah yeah it it unrolled in a satisfying way because they did again like so many of the 
the sketches tonight, they found a way to cap it. They found a way to bring it to a head in a satisfying way that felt appropriate for the material. In this case, you know, you have Leslie come out and her kind of dominating back and forth with him is just too much for him to take. And, you know, (laughs) all's well, Um, that was a funny thing to bring into the sketch at the right time. So uh, again, structure wise, I felt like there was a lot here that, that made sense. I wasn't quite sure why, they sort of went off on random tangents with all the classmates other than it's just kind of funny to give everyone a moment to present sort of a fun character, even though it was just more of sort of like a a hodgepodge of different stories that was filling out the middle of it. I don't know if that was needed, but I was still amused by it. The sketch was funny enough and I was already having enough fun with the show that they could have a few little diversions and it didn't lose me. So this, this was still a win end to end for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed they, uh, they went into, uh, a little bit of detail on the other classmates' lives. Mm-hmm. We had 420, we had Gun Boy. <laughs> right. Foreign exchange student and drama queen. Yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting choices to make, but it filled the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it went well with the energy of the sketch. So I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah. No, it, it just, it, it felt like a little bit of an indulgence, right? Just to give everyone a moment to have a little bit of fun that, didn't have anything to do with kind of the main narrative of what was going on other than to kill time while he's, you know, trying to rein in his situation, but it was an amusing indulgence. Yes. And I was very happy with just how it all played out. So was Luke. No. Yeah. At least he, he got some material tonight. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Have some thoughts, but we'll get to that in due time. After that, we get a pre-tape. Netflix latest documentary Wild Wild Country explores the very different experience of one member of the Raj Nish Purim community. I always had this thought in my head because, you know, I know like cults and these, these whack job religions that people, you know, somehow get tied up with, you know, the appeal for a lot of these people is that, you know, they're, they just don't make sense of the world and they're looking for answers and, and all that stuff. But then like, you know, you hear a lot of the sexual component about (laughs) cults and it would make sense that one or two people would be like, Oh, okay. Well, that's a reason to join a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He summed up in one word, the kind of dark underlying exploitative nature of cults. You know, he said he was yeah. in it for the ass <laughs> and you know, truer words have never been spoken. Um, but was it funny? I thought it was funny at points. Mm-hmm. Keenan and Nassim were the, the real highlights. Also, you know how everything was snowballing, like Keenan got involved with this cult for one reason. And then, He's been given guns and, you know, the whole thing escalates and uh, just, just to see his discomfort with some things was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming this is referencing a specific documentary because a lot of those characterizations felt like impressions. Oh, it very much was. Um, the documentary is called wild, wild country and it is on Netflix and a lot of the kind of like stock footage from the era that was in the, the pre-tape uh, that looks like it was lifted right out of the real documentary. Yeah. I haven't seen all six episodes of the documentary, but just, you know, in doing our homework for the cast, I popped in and watched about five minutes of it just to get a sense of were they capturing the style? Were the characters in the pre-tape direct analogs to what was in the documentary? And they were, you know, like Beck's character, there's a version of Beck in the documentary and the seems character is one of the main, uh, sort of like right hand aids to the guru. So yeah, it, it all is very much lining up with the real documentary. Yeah, it was too obvious not to be referencing something directly. Yeah. I think that this is the kind of pre-tape where if you've seen the source material, it's probably way better than if you haven't. 
There was a funny story in it that you could figure out without having seen the documentary, but it's not going to be nearly as charming or satisfying if you haven't. So for me, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed the idea of someone that's just sort of like unabashedly honest about their real reasons for getting involved with a cult. I think that was fun. I like stylistically how they presented everything. So there was a lot here to like, but this isn't the sketch that moved me tonight. There was a lot of other stuff that I think was uh, just sort of more dialed in and just generally funnier overall for the amount of time that this took up. I felt like it was maybe a little sparse on the jokes that really connected with me, but still, if that's the worst thing you can say about a sketch tonight, we're in pretty good shape. So uh, I do count this as a win. I think it was good. Just not the super memorable moment for me. Agreed. Okay, moving on. We got another live sketch. One patron bites off more than he can chew when he orders lobster from a diner. Just give him the lobster. (laughs) They gave him the lobster and so much more. (laughs) Well, he got everything but the lobster. He got, you know, lobster costumes and lobster mise-en-scene and a lot of singing. But uh, that was a lot of effort to talk someone out of getting a lobster. (laughs) Sure. But. You know, it's fun to think that these people have been waiting, you know, in the kitchen for their one moment to do their musical number about lobsters. (laughs) And that's what had me really laughing at this sketch. (laughs) Yeah, they were all primed and ready to jump into a full scale Broadway musical at a moment's notice. The second someone has the audacity to try and order lobster at a diner. (laughs) Um, This was just fun. Like this was just the cast really seeming to enjoy themselves. And I think that energy was infectious, a bit of a mess, right? Like lots of technical issues, timing issues. Cecily came in late on one of her, (laughs) uh, vocal runs, but still kind of caught up there. And, uh, you know, it was all over the map that way. Uh, Pete Davidson couldn't hold it together, but I, I just, I loved it. Absolutely. And I enjoyed how, like even the cast members couldn't believe what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a reason that sketch did not make a past table read initially. Yes. Um, just a little bit of history there to back up what you're saying. This was something that Malini pitched back in 2010 and it didn't get out the door for obvious reasons. But you know, now that he's sort of calling the shots a little bit as host, he was able to push that through and uh, not bad that Colin Jost is now one of the head writers. So, <laughs> you know, he, he's got a lot of <laughs> friends and clout that he can call in to get what he wants on the air. And we saw that a few times tonight. So this was not a fresh sketch that they came up with this week. This is something yeah. that he's been wanting to get on air for a long time. Yeah, but everybody was having a blast at the absurdity of it all. And right. that was contagious. Mm-hmm. It uh, affected me and how I enjoyed the sketch. Yep. Yep. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Let's talk a little bit about Jack White. He performs over and over and over. And his second song, Connected by Love. Uh, were you won over by Jack White's latest? Yes. And all of his lovely microphones. <laughs> yes. I had to listen to this album before... This episode, it's been out for a bit, and I thought it was a really good album, a lot of fun, and yeah, he brought that raw energy that I know Jack White to have Mm -hmm. to the stage, pretty much rocked it like I knew he would. Mm -hmm. His guitar playing just mystifies me because he's been (laughs) a musician for years, but he's he's very, very sloppy on on his solos and stuff, and I think he must be doing it on purpose. That must be like the style he's trying to go for. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you emphatically on that. He's not sloppy at all. He's super precise, but he's far enough down the road with his guitar playing that he knows how to break the rules and still make it work. When he lets a note go sour or when, you know, he throws in something that just should not work as part of the solo, he's doing it for effect. 
Right. That is not uncontrolled in the least. Everything that he was doing was super precise. And that's why he can have such a, you know, loud, aggressive sound, but it's still pleasing to listen to because it is so controlled and, and he just has such mastery over the whole performance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to get all worked up there. I just, you, you can't uh, throw shade on Jack White's uh, soloing abilities. That, that but you- I'm saying the same thing you are, that it sounds sloppy, but it's done on purpose. Okay. All right. He plays that way because he wants to play that way. Not because he's not capable of doing better. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. So we're, we're on the same page there. All right. You just, you got me, you got me fired up there a little bit. Uh, so did either of these songs move you in a particular way? Or are you just generally happy with Jack White? Yeah. I mean that first song over and over, it was just a really meaty riff. I've been mm-hmm. humming it to myself all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those, you know, one or two bar riffs that are just, you know, it's, it's simple. It's repetitive, but it's catchy as hell. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly that very thing. And uh, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. I loved every minute of it. Both songs uh, were fantastic. Uh, I thought he, you know, brought a lot to the stage. I, I love that, you know, he went full out. I'm so used to seeing Jack White in a very stripped down, very basic kind of musical setup that it is cool to see it a little more fleshed out. And you've got like some organs and some like soul singers at the back and you just, you got a lot more there uh, to enrich the sound and he uses it all to good effect. He's still able to make a very Jack White sound, <laughs> but with so much more now loved it. Absolutely loved it. The second song, especially like that was just a very like raw visceral ballad. And um, we don't get a lot of that. Usually ballads are kind of tepid and they're not quite as adventurous as what he was doing. And I just really, really loved everything I saw tonight. This, uh, <laughs> I want to say that it made the show for me, but the show itself was already pretty solid. So this was just one more thing in a long line of things that was making me very happy with the show tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sounds like you thought it was all right. Yeah, yeah, no, it was cool. I'll, I'll give it a marginal win. Hi, guys. I want to jump out of the cast for just a minute to talk about some of the fun rewards we're offering to our listeners through Patreon. If you're not aware, patreon.com, that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash SNL podcast, is where our most awesome listeners can pledge their support for the show and in turn receive a variety of patron only rewards. You can pledge any amount you want, and for as little as $4 a month, you'll get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode on Mondays immediately after we record. But that's not all we're offering. Our patrons can have us promote their shows, events, businesses, or products. They can get us to perform an SNL sketch on the cast, or even join us as a guest reviewer. We're offering seven reward levels from NBC Page all the way up to Lorne Michaels. So head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and check them out. It's your support that will ensure that we can make the cast as great as possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. Like Joshua Connolly from Belleville, Illinois, who's one of our fabulous featured player patrons. Joshua, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Shea tackle the latest historic Trump investigation developments. Well, we knew we were going to get a lot of this with uh, Comey's book out. Right. A lot of interesting things to, uh, to criticize. And yeah, sure, Trump had a bad week or whatever, but that's not going to stop him from making fun of him. <laughs> sure. Which is a great joke, by the way. Yeah. You know, the stuff about P-tapes and uh, the hush money, all that. It's just, it's great fodder. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they had some good material to work with and uh, 
writing team on updates so good now. It's it's hard for them to to miss with material this good. Yep, I agree. This was solid. Not the high watermark. Like there was a few fumbly moments. Uh, Joe missed a, a camera cue at one point. Was completely caught off guard. Yeah, <laughs> but they still had a lot of fun with it. And it's already a show that's firing. So you know, I'm I'm happy to see whatever they're going to present. This weekend update could have been abysmal, and I still would have been laughing. That said, it was perfectly good. You know, this was good material. Had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I just don't think that this was the high watermark for the show. But again, we're talking about a show where there was a lot of high watermarks. So I don't think update really had to carry it this week. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tweet to Colin though, and, and ask him what he was writing. That was more important than the live show he was doing. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? I I don't think they actually have the jokes on those pages, right? Like everything's still on the cue card. So I don't really know what that is. It, it, it feels very much like old timey news anchory that they even have pens and paper up there, almost just like something to keep their hands occupied and to create a little bit more performance. But yeah, seemed like he was genuinely caught off guard there. I don't think that that was a, a gag. I think that that was just, yep. Uh, he was spaced out. He was daydreaming or something and just had no idea that they were going to throw back to him. Yeah. Just doodling. Yeah. I, I do love that. They can laugh it off now. Like they're so loose and just so in the moment that they can just have fun with whatever unravels at the desk now. Oh yeah. A few years ago, we were not seeing that. It was a very stiff. Uh, yeah. Just a deer in headlights kind of situation sometimes <laughs> at update. So this is good. I'll, I'll take this update any day of the week. This was perfectly good. Agreed. I'll take it too. Yep. All right. So let's take a look at our first feature. Kate McKinnon as Laura Ingram. And she's discussing her show's sponsor boycott. I thought it was good. Now, I've never seen Laura Ingram, her show, or anything she does. Mm -hmm. I just don't have enough interest to listen to that. She doesn't say anything I want to hear. Okay. Despite that, she talked and acted exactly how I thought she would. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) She had that that voice, that, uh, that timbre, that I'm assuming is somewhat accurate to how she sounds. She kind of had sort of an affect when she would speak that almost sounded very like casual and disinterested a little bit like she's going eh, kind of at the end of her speaking that kind of threw away the line a bit. Yeah, uh, I was picking up on that thing that Kate was doing and I have no idea if it lines up with the real character, but it certainly seemed like uh, they were not attempting to flatter Laura Ingram in any way. They just really wanted to play up her insipid nature. And uh, I think they captured it, you know, without knowing anything about Laura Ingram either. My completely uninformed opinion on this is that they captured her essence perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if anyone deserves to get dumped on, it would be, you know, someone making ad hominem attacks towards a school shooting victim because he didn't get into a couple of schools. Like if you're going to be that childish, I think you're pretty much fair game for parody. Apparently SNL agrees. Yeah. Um, So they didn't really hold back. I mean, this wasn't super hard hitting. Uh, They were just having fun with the idea of having some really kind of bad low end sponsors, sort of like uh, what we get with big poppy where right in the middle of all of his parts, they kind of, he gets to break it down for a couple minutes. I like that. Yeah. I thought it was good just as comedy. I just, I don't know if there was a whole lot of commentary about specifically what, you know, people are up in arms about with her, which is fine. I didn't need it. I think the world knows what the issues are, so you don't need to beat that into the ground. I was happy just to have something a little bit more fun for them to find with her character. Yes, and I think they found it. Yep. It was a blast. Yep, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. What do we think of uh, Keenan coming back as LeVar Ball to shamelessly promote his son Lonzo and pimp his latest merch? Well, this is my new favorite Keenan character. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got it the first time, 
but it's definitely grown on me. Mm-hmm. I love the line delivery. I love the ridiculous things he claims. <laughs> and I love when like he talks himself into a corner and then unwittingly admits that everything he's getting on about is not quite as glamorous as he <laughs> sure. let on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to expect that you haven't seen already in a LeVar Ball outing. Mm-hmm. But just like Big Poppy, I don't mind because what they fill in those blanks with are always golden. Yep. It's still working. It's not played out. Had fun with it too. I will say though, that this was the first time that he came out and I wasn't more enthusiastic than the previous time that I saw him. Like we've seen him, you know, three or four times now. And each time I've liked the character a little bit more. And I feel like for me, we're now at the top of that. Like I've seen him enough that I get the beats. The jokes aren't going to be quite as strong because you understand exactly what you're going to get and they're not going to break new ground. So even though it's still fun, still happy to see him and happy to see him again next time they want to trot him out. I am finding like we're at the very top of his potency for me. So I don't know how much more I'm going to want to see him, but for what it's worth tonight was still a win. Yes. All right. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. Hollywood update explores 1987's family sitcom switcheroo. Well, I'm actually happy to say I've never considered the sexual ramifications of these freaky Friday type scenarios. <laughs> right. Yeah. You have a kid in an adult's body <laughs> sooner or later. Something very awkward is going to go down. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, this concept is always geared towards a family audience. So there's no way they're going to go down that road right. in real life. But to imagine if they did just to see how it would go. This is why we have comedy. This is why we have parody. Yeah. The thing that I really loved about this was that they didn't play the mom as like a villain for putting the kid in this situation. They kind of play her as a tragic figure where she just had her family upended and basically lost her husband and she just has emotional needs and she's just trying to satisfy them. And it's a totally inappropriate scenario that she's come up with, but you get just this, this weird, almost like sympathetic view of how tortured this woman would be in this situation. And I don't think they were really like even shooting too much at that idea, but that's just something that I picked up on just from some of the quick little cuts from the actual like footage from the show where she just, she really seems like she's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. I'm like, how, how dark (laughs) to be able to sort of like, craft that emotional backdrop for this family sitcom that airs on Saturday morning at 10 AM. I don't know. There was just, there was something that wasn't just like bizarre and uncomfortable and cringy about it. There was something that, that just seemed to like go a little darker than what I would have expected from a sketch of this nature. And I found that very satisfying for some reason. Like it just, it, it really, it really landed for me. Yeah. And uh, that group therapy bit was hilarious. <laughs> Credit to Reddit for pointing out that one of the little throwaway jokes that the creator of the show has when they're talking about what the cast members are doing now, he said that young Andy Cunanan left the business. What people might not realize watching the show is that Andy Cunanan was a real life person that grew up to be a serial killer and he was the guy who killed Johnny Versace. So there's a very, very dark joke that this guy's sitcom actually, you know, drove that child to uh, such uh, mental distress that he cracked. Um, 
So yeah, if you really want to go dark on this kind of material, there it is. Malini seemed to really enjoy putting, again, a lot of his specificity and willingness to like go down those paths into this as well. And yeah, seemed satisfying. And the way that the character just seemed to think that he like touched all these lives and like made this great family sitcom that everybody loves, (laughs) just the smugness of his delivery was like 50% of what was working with it. Yeah, he's got artist obliviousness, right? Like where he thinks that everything he's doing is great and it doesn't matter the tragic um, fallout from it. It's it's his art and he's bringing it to the world and he is a hero for doing it. Uh, so yeah, just a whole lot of stew here that I really enjoyed. <laughs> Me too. All right, moving on. We get another live sketch. Lucian reveals to his girlfriend that he wants to remove his horns. Luke Knoll center stage. We don't get a lot of it. Were you happy with it? Oh, I felt it was all right. Okay. I don't have a whole lot to say on this one. I, I did enjoy the ride. I thought Luke and Heidi were great. I thought John was great. Yeah, just a, a, a silly premise that uh, had me scratching my head horns. Sure. Uh, it was fun. I did like a lot of the gory details so to speak that they threw in about all the body alterations that these two have done like she removed her butt cheeks as a prank not as a joke and uh, he removed like like his his calf muscles or something like there's just he put holes in his calves yeah so you and can see the muscle and bone <laughs> i did like that they built the sketch in such a way that heidi's character and the doctor's character are like perfect foils for each other she loves Luke the way he is and she's a little heartbroken that he would want to change and remove, you know, these things that that she actually finds appealing about him whereas the doctor, you know, is the exact opposite of all that. I like that by making those two peripheral characters kind of opposed to each other, the back and forth becomes really strong. Like everything that Mulaney says is basically knocking down everything that she says 100%. That was funny. Like I did enjoy the back and forth of it a lot and as disturbing as it was to see Luke and all that prosthetic, it was a, it was a well-realized sketch for kind of showing the, the lengths that some people go to with the, the body <laughs> alteration stuff that they can do now. So there, there was some stuff to like here. Just, I, I'm going to call it marginal win because it just wasn't the best material of the night. Good. Just not super great. Yeah. I thought Heidi was the perfect foil for John Mulaney's doctor because she was, you know, an angsty teenager. Yeah. Cause that's the whole reason she has a problem with this is because at that age, all you have is your identity. Right, right. You, know, you, ha- you have no money. You have no <laughs> accomplishments under your belt. So the body mods, the, the dyed hair, that's, that's the one thing you have control in this world. Right. You know, she's obviously has some problem with authority questioning sure. his credentials, even though she doesn't even know what Harvard is. <laughs> like that ignorance and, and well-meaning. Uh, Naivete. Intention- yeah, yeah. All that stuff is very, very. It's very Heidi. Heidi does this <laughs> stuff very well. It's a lot. Of, a lot of her characters are younger, kind of troubled teens. Yeah. So this was definitely her wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. That's that's really where the the meat of this comes from. Yeah. Well, there you go. Who'd have thought we'd actually come up with something reasonably clever to say about this sketch? I'm very happy with that. So let's move on. <laughs> For our ten to one, we get a pre-tape. Bravo's newest reality show, The Real Intros of Reality Hills. Well, that's definitely the best part of any reality show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is those intros. Just give me 22 minutes of intros. I'll be a happy man. Maybe three seconds of drama. Yes. <laughs> Which was perfect. Like that was a great way to exit it where he throws the water 
and you know the whole table just kind of erupts in their you know drama stupidity because that's so true of what you would see on these kind of bravo shows uh i thought they really got the tone right i thought that there was a lot here that played very true to those kind of shows and eh, i thought it worked for a 10 to 1 yeah great ensemble bit that wasn't necessarily a bunch of impressions yeah yeah that was nice too yeah it's nice to see a way to utilize the entire cast in a in a montage like this it's not necessarily just utilizing that one skill. Mm-hmm. Not everybody on the cast is an impressionist. So I'm sure most of them, or if not all of them, can do some version of a desperate housewife type persona. Exactly. Yeah. So good move for the show for sure. Yep. It was good. And the writing on it was pretty solid. Like the how specific they got with each of the characters and kind of what their game is, like what their background is and how they present themselves felt really good it felt very true and it it was genuinely funny there was a few moments throughout this where the characters really had me going yep yep i've seen that character i know what they're goofing on here so that was working i liked it i'm glad you liked it (laughs) okay and that is our episode rundown let's talk moment of the night what took it for you my moment of the night was uh probably the opening credits (laughs) of switcheroo okay that theme song where it pretty much reveals what the whole premise of the sketch actually is. And you see Beck's reaction, right? <laughs> pretty much looks in the camera at the, at the people singing the song. Like, what did you say? And then he has sex with his mom. right? Like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, I love when they hit you over the head with what the sketch is about <laughs> and you don't even expect it. And yeah, I love that caught off guard kind of humor. Okay. Yeah. It was fun. I liked that. They, had the 80s sitcom look down the videotape look the bland color palette there was a lot there to like but you're right taking something that seemed very middle of the road and very sweet and family friendly and then having a very dramatic turn that not only catches you off guard but catches one of the characters in the show off guard that is the moment that that little boy split and became a serial killer (laughs) (laughs) on screen for everyone to enjoy yeah yeah i like it it's a good moment What's yours for my moment of the night. I'm going with the moment in the lobster diner sketch where they bring out the second prop, like the wall of rubble, like the barricade for the other players in this Broadway production. I like that moment because it signaled to me that they're taking this sketch absolutely as far as they possibly can. Like it's not just enough that you got Keenan in the lobster tank. It's not enough that, They're all singing their hearts out and having a good time. They're actually going to cram another piece of prop into the set and take the Les Mis motif as far as they possibly can and go as big as they can. It just felt like they're saying, we know that this is fun and we're enjoying it and we just want to like blow it out for all it's worth. And I thought it was great. It's a good pick. Yeah. All right. Best sketch. Yeah. My sketch pick would be uh, that first sketch with uh, John and drag as the waitress throwing shade at the patrons thought it was a, a fun time. And for, for John Malay to get into drag that quickly for the show, you know, it was safe to say he was pretty much up for whatever was <laughs> going to make the show better. So for that reason, gave me a good feeling. And from start to finish, it was a great sketch in its own. So uh, that's my pick. Good. Although it was a tough one because everything was good tonight. Yeah, there was a lot of good material. It is tricky because there isn't anything that just seemed like so overwhelmingly a standout in comparison to the other material that 
it, it does leave you scratching your head a bit. So I, I think this is like a no lose situation actually, because you know who's going to fault you for picking any of the material tonight? It's all great. I'm going with Hollywood Update Switcheroo. I think that that was a dark, weird little sketch that came and went pretty quick, but just gave me a whole lot to chew on in the you know two or three minutes that it was there, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. As dark as it went, it did go dark. Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't pick it. I usually go for the dark ones myself. Yeah, but I mean, again, can't go wrong. A lot of good material tonight. So MVP, what do you got? My MVP pick is going to be our host, John Mulaney. Yeah. He rocked the monologue as most stand-up comedians can do, Mm -hmm. given their uh, experience on stage. Being a former writer, he knows exactly how it all works. And, you know, his voice was very much present in every single sketch. Mm Mm-hmm. While he was never a performer on the show, except for a couple of weekend update bits, you know, he's, he's shown range with, uh, with, oh, hello and, and other things he's done. So he was more capable as a performer than I had originally thought. Yeah. He was very adept. He just ticked off all the boxes and it would be a crime not to make him MVP in my opinion. Yeah. He lived up to expectations. He made the show really special with his voice and what he was able to bring to it. So can't fault you for going with him. However, because you went with him, which is the obvious pick and the right pick, but because you already said it all, I am going with Luke Null. And not specifically because of what we saw from him in the show, which is probably his best showing of the season as far as screen time, but because of a cut for time sketch called Wedding Toast that I feel like we need to talk about. This was... Luke Null's shining moment. This was where he could win over the audience, show everything that he has that he can bring to the show as far as performance and musicality. This was his moment and the bastards at SNL cut it out. And I'm like a little upset about it. I'm upset. Yeah. You could be upset. And if it wasn't a great sketch, you know, so be it. Who cares? But this sketch could have gone toe-to-toe with anything that was in the show. And I would argue is probably a little better than some of it. And it really is a shame that it didn't get on because it showcases everything about Luke Null that the show obviously saw when they hired him. And we just haven't had an opportunity to really experience yet. He was so good in it. And it was a fun sketch. And he got to like sing and perform and just really show that he can own a sketch and be a likable character. <laughs> yeah. And just really have a moment. And, uh, oh. And it was a cameo for Jack White. Yeah. Like if they had to cut something for time, I wish it was that documentary pre-tape. That's one thing I can think of that I would have preferred to see this over. Yeah. The problem is that I think that this was slated for later in the show and coming out of update, they were so behind the clock that they just had to make a tough call. And because this one isn't something that you could really trim down because it's all built around that musical performance, I think they just crunched the numbers and said, we got no choice. We got to just, you know, kill the big one because we need to claw back that much time. That's probably how it went down. It just really is a shame because Jack White's in it. It's not something they can repurpose for a future show. That's why they put it out online. But this was good. This was really good. Him and Cecily were both great in it. It was such a funny premise. And John Mulaney, too, just executed so perfectly in it. This is the tragedy of the night. And uh, I just feel so bad for Luke Null. I I wish that this had made it onto TV. But (laughs) it's on the Internet. Yeah, so uh, for all those reasons, I want to give Luke Null MVP because he really showed something special in that sketch, and I encourage everyone to go see it. Yes. 
All right. Hey, don't fire Luke, please. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows? We got three more episodes. Maybe we'll see something big from him. But maybe this is the kind of stuff that he's been doing all season and it just hasn't been making it onto air. So like there may be more going on here that the show can look at and say, no, this, this guy, he, he could turn into something good. Yeah. We can, we can do one more season with him. See if we can get him to break out a bit more. Cause you don't get a lot of male players that can do the, the musical stuff as well as he can. And uh, I, I just, I think there's more to see from him and I hope we get to see it. Yeah. Now on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? I'm going to give it a great rating. Fair enough. Why? Uh, well, it was a show that was consistently of high quality, sketch to sketch, great host, great musical guest. Everything was thumbs up. Yep. I just don't see this as like a historical kind of episode that we'll look back to. You know, maybe it's because John Mulaney's not the biggest name or just that there was nothing really paramount that was touched on in the show. Sure. But for a standalone episode, you know, just for what it was at its time and place, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I think that's how I would describe a great rating. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I'm going with classic. I'm giving it a full on classic. Deadly. You're right. It wasn't transcendent. There was no like Melissa McCarthy coming out for the first time, a Spicer moment in it. There wasn't anything like that in it, but this was strong. This was fun. This was the cast at their best, great performances, a week where there was an infectious energy where you could just tell that everybody was just having a ball and bringing their best to the show. Mulaney did a great job. It had his unique voice in the mix, which when you look at this compared to the rest of the season, you do see that, that kind of that unifying factor that he brings to the show that makes all the material just a little bit more cohesive and just a little sharper and a little bit more specific. There's just a lot of him in it. And I found that to be really special and rare. So even though, yeah, you're right. No big classic moments, nothing that we're going to really be thinking about in 10 years as like, Oh, that was a defining moment in SNL history. It just was so good. It was just so good. And I think sometimes an episode that's just so good. <laughs> uh, I think that's enough. And we haven't had enough classics this season. I want to give it to one that I really connected with. And I just, I had so much fun with this show. It's a classic. It's a classic for me. All right. All right. I, I considered it too. Yeah. But I, I didn't go. Yeah. And totally fair. I can't fault you for landing on great because that probably is the more measured review, but this was solid. One way or another, I think we are giving a solid thumbs up to this show. And if that's what people take away, great. Go see it. If you haven't already. Go see it. What was it in theaters? <laughs> sure. Yes. Go see it while it lasts. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, everything I got to say about it. You uh, have any final thoughts? That's everything I got to say. Cool. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Jonathan Jordan, and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in three weeks when SNL returns with host Donald Glover and musical guest Childish Gambino. This has been episode number 46 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast, I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. 
My thanks to Jack White, Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro. And to all the writers, all the set designers, all the carpenters, all the editors, all the directors, all the departments that along with this great cast put Saturday Night Live together. Thank you very much. He thought being a kid was pretty tough He thought being a dad was too Then a witch came along, did a magic spell And now we've got a switcheroo No one knows a secret, guess they'll have to keep it What they gonna do, it's a switcheroo Dad goes to school, son goes to work And the son has sex with the mom <laughs> What you gonna do? It's a switcheroo.